You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast, brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier, so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hey, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Thanks for tuning in. You are actually the Nonprofit Problem Solver. My job is to bring you practical, tactical expertise that you can use right now or in about an hour. You're about to hear the recording of me chatting one-to-one with an expert. You're more than welcome to join the next live call. Just zip on over to nonprofitproblemsolver.com to register. In our third Summer Series episode, I'm talking to Nick Takamine of Arpeggio Advisors. Nick has an international nonprofit pedigree with a particular focus on strategy. So we're going to get right down to it by asking, from a nonprofit perspective, what is strategy anyway? Okay, welcome everyone. Uh, it is a one o'clock on uh, Wednesday, which means it's time for Nonprofit Problem Solver. I'm the host, Kev Kayat, and I am really thrilled today to welcome my guest, Nick Takamine. Uh, we will be talking all about strategy and, and trying to respond to my questions. And then anyone in the, who's available, uh, who has a question rather in the chat, feel free to drop it in and we will uh, incorporate it as we go. Anything that particularly resonates uh, with you, feel free to uh, contribute and we'll bring those in. But um, let me uh, welcome you, Nick. How are you, sir? Thanks, Kev. Doing great. Looking forward to the conversation today. Good. Okay. So before we jump into uh, what is strategy anyway, in a nonprofit sense, let's just do a, um, a quick introduction. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and your background. I've already prompted people with this notion you have an impressive international pedigree. So <laughs> um, got something there to live up to. Okay. That may be generous, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so, hey, folks, I uh, actually recognize a couple of the names on this list. So great, great to be on with you all and all the new, uh, new names as well. Um, so I'm Nick Takamine. I am a strategy consultant to nonprofits, which means I, I partner with nonprofit leaders to to make you know all, all the, the theory and the frameworks and methodologies and, and tools um, related to strategy, making those relevant, accessible, practical in the nonprofit context for, for actual practitioners. Um, and so I, I do this through a range of consulting projects, um, falling into a few buckets. There's you know strategic planning and strategy development, um, making strategy real through organization design and transformation. Um, and, and business model innovation, which is about um, using new ways to to mobilize resources and deploy those resources uh, to achieve the mission. Um, so that's what I do. Um, and I do what I do because I know from firsthand experience in a strategy role in a nonprofit that the challenges that nonprofit leaders face um, in terms of leading their organization are the same ones that that the private that leaders in the private sector face. So you, you know your your executive director of your nonprofit is sitting there, you know, um, awake at night for the same reasons that you know the CEOs of the of the Fortune 500 are awake at night. Um, yeah, differences in in context, but but as far as the uh, you know the organizational challenges to solve, they're they're very very similar. Um, and you know, having been in that that role. I learned that the resources to help the nonprofit leader address those challenges are, are just very, very few and far between and very poor in comparison to what your, your, your private sector counterparts uh, have access to. Um, and, you know, so I asked myself, so, you know, why is this the case? The nonprofits are, 
such an important um, sector, right, within um, within society. Um, and so, why is it that uh, these organizations have such poor resources available to them? Um, and so, I dedicated my career to um, helping to make that translation, taking what really has been studied and refined and proven in the context of the private sector and figuring out what parts of that, what elements of that do, um, you know, do transfer and, and, and do create value for, for a nonprofit leader and then helping nonprofit leaders to actually bring that to bear in their work. Um, so that's what I do. Um, that, that's great. And, and I love the, well, I love the, uh, the, the, the emphasis on the practical and tactical because there is, as you know, there's no shortage of theory and concepts and, and so on. And, you know, I, I love that stuff. I, I, I could, you know, dig into it for hours, but when it comes down to um, limited resources, limited time available, we want to make sure that uh, the, the advice we're giving, the support we're providing can be used immediately and put straight into practice. Uh, that's how we're going to learn. So uh, how can people find you? Nick, online. I know you're. Yeah. I know you got a Twitter handle. Uh, I know you're yeah, on Twitter. Um, but where where might they be able to check out your website? Yes, yeah, so my website is at our, is at arpeggiostrategy.com. And yeah, you can send that around in the chat. I guess there, uh, Kev. Um, so on that website, yeah, you can read more about my my work and my perspective on strategy. Um, you know, I try in my in my free time to to write things up so that you know nonprofit leaders can access them, even if we're not working together directly. So right. go ahead and take a look. Okay. So uh, before we get to um, the, this question, like what is strategy anyway? Um, I, I just want to uh, pull one question out that I assume you get as often as as I have had, which is um, nonprofits, but they're not, but we're not businesses. We're not businesses, are we? So we're we're not going to do things the same as a as nonprofit and so on. So, um, speak to how you hear, you know, how often that comes up, and and what your sort of standard stock answer to that is, and and how you move beyond that that sort of concern. Yeah, uh, it's it's a very valid question. Um, I think a lot of that comes from the history of this of this sector. So you know, starting out like fifties, sixties. Right was when you had um, a sector that really the, the roots of this sector was organizations that were that were very community based. Um, it was very much about um, expression, you know, um, at, at at that time, um, very close to to the beneficiaries, um, and um, that was that was a different time. Since then, the sector has has evolved to become much more professionalized and to operate in a much more market oriented. Um, environment. And um, so, you know, yes, there is a spectrum and some of these principles from the private sector are more relevant for, for you know, organizations kind of at this end of the spectrum than those still um, uh, on the on the other end of the spectrum. Um, but most organizations today, I would submit, um, find themselves operating in some form of market, meaning um, there are other organizations doing similar things. Um, and um, donors and funders need to decide where to allocate resources. Um, and when you have a situation like that, um, strategy, which really is about uh, what value am I, is my organization bringing to the world and how is that different from the value that other organizations are bringing to the world, um, that's when strategy um, you know, becomes important. Um, and profit aside, right? it doesn't matter if you can distribute profits, um, but how you how you mobilize resources and deploy those resources. That's what it's all about. And, and that's obviously very relevant for nonprofits. So, so I just want to just, just, just clarify that restate it slightly in slightly mm -hmm. different terms because people have, will, will have heard um, me say before uh, nonprofit is a, is a tax status. It's not a business model. And uh, so you, so you're not owned and you, you can't distribute profits. You can't take money out of the organization. Um, but what you're really saying is that um whether you are for-profit or non-profit, the fundamental question really is what value do you bring and why should people put money your way, whether it's a donor or a grant maker or a customer who's buying things from you. So it's, the, it's really, there's really not a whole lot of difference. It's, the, it's, it's more about the specificity, the specific value you bring. That's exactly right. Yep. Right. Okay. 
Great. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad we solved that. And what are we going to talk about for the rest of the time? Just kidding. So um, let's go to uh, what, what is strategy anyway? You started to define it uh, in, in terms of this notion of, of value. Um, how, let's, let's unpack it a little bit. What, when you say, what is strategy anyway, what, what do you mean? Yeah, so the, the term strategy is, is used in a lot of different contexts. Um, strategic plan, strategic objectives, what's your digital strategy, what's your fundraising strategy, right? Um, so the strategy we're talking about today on, on this call anyway is, is organizational strategy. It's the, it's the why are we here um, question. Um, and it really comes down to making a choice about what role you're playing in that big, big wide world out there. Um, and how you're creating value that, that no other organization can. Um, you know, traditionally, uh, the mission statement and the vision statement have been the ways that, that nonprofits have tried to clarify for themselves and, and, and for their constituents, funders, donors, um, and others, um, the answer to those, to those questions. But the, the problem is mission statements, vision statements, are, are too general to really guide practical management decisions. Um, and so you need something more. And this is where um, the, the, the tools, frameworks, practices from the private sector um, can offer a lot of value for nonprofit leaders actually trying to, you know, take an expression about who we are in the world and turn that into real trade-off decisions, um, you know, in the day-to-day. Uh, so it's really about making those those choices, asking the and answering the fundamental existential questions. Right. Okay. So and, and when you said about value, to just pull on where we what we were saying previously is it's it's uh, you said how basically how do you distinguish yourself? So it's it's really around their unique value um, in 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 or in and other people who who know me will recognize uh, a lot of the similar ideas in terms of. Um, uh, driving impact and doing something uh, essential for the people that you serve. One one thing I, I see people get really hung up on, um, if I, I've witnessed a number of strategy discussions, even internally like within a C-suite. So you have a, an executive team talking about strategy and they're actually talking about different things because they're using the same word to mean different things. So strategy as a word means different things. So the, the, the classic conflict I see is strategy as um, distinct from strategic objectives. So some people think the end point, your objectives is the strategy and others are like, no, the strategy is how you get to the end point. And, and you see them speaking across each other. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and that, that's, that's definitely a dynamic that's out there. And, you know, I think there's no use fighting the fact that everyone has a different idea of strategy in mind. What my advice to, um, to my clients is, well, you just make sure you really understand what's important when it comes to strategy, right? Terminologies are going to differ. You know, everyone's going to have their own preferred way to structure things or approach. The important thing is that you understand what, what really needs to come out of this process. So, what you need to understand are really at the most fundamental level, two things, I would say. There's the the question of what, it, you know, the set of questions, which are what is our intended impact and what is our, how do we think that comes about? Um, what are all, what are the, all the, the, the causal mechanisms that end up resulting in the ultimate change that we are seeking? So that's kind of your, high level 30,000 foot theory of change sort of discussion. And that's one half of it. The other half of it is what role do we play in that? Um, And that comes down to, again, choices about, okay, which of the levers in that, that big broad theory of change are we choosing to activate? Who are the, who are the right funders? Who are the beneficiaries? What is our value proposition and why is that unique? What is the service portfolio that we are going to implement? Um, in order to activate those levers. And then what is it about our, our organizational capabilities um, that allow us to do this in a special way, right? So that we're, we don't look like just, you know, the, the, the service organization down the block because that's what's really important to getting this right. So it's those three things. It's, you know, the, the value proposition, the service portfolio, um, and the, um, your, your system of capabilities. Um, combine that, 
with the with the theory of change and, and your role in it. And that's really what it comes down to. And, and we can talk more about the details of that. Yeah. So then you you get the um, again that unique story about how you bring how you marshal the resources you have to create that that impact, and that's how you distinguish yourself from others. Yeah. Um, and and I and I like how you you know how you frame that as well. What results from this is a story about how you do this and why you're unique and how you're creating the value. Um, and I think that's important to realize. Something I learned you know, over time um, that this isn't just a, it's not just a number crunching and analytical exercise. It's not, it's not that there's a, um, you know, you, you, you run the analysis and boom, you know, there's your strategy. It's also, it's, it's both that science and the art of self-expression about, you know, who this organization is going to be in the world, balancing that, th- those two. And then it has to, it has to end up as a story because that's yeah. what has meaning for people. And and yeah, and, and in and in and in sort of everyday language, there's a lot of jargon around around strategy. And we you know, we just mentioned this distinction between uh, strategy and strategic objectives. The other two or three, uh, I just want to uh, clarify. Um, again, people get hung up, and I and I, I'm I'm guessing, but tell me if I'm wrong, that uh, in terms of the vocabulary, people will have variable perspectives on it, but for a particular strategic planning process or within an organization between the board and the, the leadership and so on, you you want to have at least some consistency. So people should, particularly if the board's coming from a number of different uh, organizations and backgrounds, say so you have accountants and lawyers and, and, and others uh, who, who come and will think of strategy or strategic planning in, in different ways, you want to at least come together and say, hey, these are um, this is how this is what we mean about strategy for, for this process. So you've got that consistency. So I'm assuming that's the case. Um, and you're nodding. So so, so <laughs> I'll go on. The other words I was I, I wanted to 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 raise that people stumble upon are strategic planning as opposed to strategy, and then the difference between strategy and tactics. Uh, is a, is another one. So, to, so walk me through the way you orient your own thinking and and clients thinking around those two. Um, yeah. So I'll start with the 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 strategy versus strategic planning question. Um, a strategic planning process should should result in good strategy. I, I'll just say that that's my my, my perspective on it. Um, uh, they're they're very much. You know they're they're part and, and and parcel. Now the problem is, and and where people get hung up on that is, a lot of organizations can go through a strategic planning process, whole thing, come out with a document and everything, and still not have a strategy. What do I mean by that? A lot of times, the way organizations will will typically um, uh, do a strategic planning process is it, it becomes just you know, an aggregation of initiatives, whatever, what every department plans to do, you know, they, they say, here's what I want to do in the next year. They, they group them all together and then they, they end it with a budget. Um, Sounds like business planning rather than strategic planning. Well, yeah. And, and it, and what, what that's exactly, because what that skips, like that is planning, right? That that's planning, but it's not strategy setting. What it, what it skips is asking and answering and clarifying the, the existential questions of the organization. Why are we here? You know, how do we think change comes about? What is our role in that? And and why are we special in playing that role? Um, You need to answer those things because that is what then gives you criteria against which to make the the planning decisions. um, And And the choices, the hard choices, like what you're not going to do. What you're exactly right. Um, What you're not going to do. Um, so, so strategic planning often ends up with a plan that, that has not really done the real work of strategy. Um, okay, so I think that's where some of the rub comes in there. Um, uh, and, and I guess you could say, you know, strategy, strategy versus tactics. Um, I guess you could put it this way. Um, you know, if strategy is answering the existential questions of the organizations, then the tactics are really in the, the planning. Um, the what are we actually going to do? But those need to be informed by the big choices that say we do this, but we don't do this. Right. Okay. I, I I've got that. And then 
Um, another element around strategy, you mentioned analysis. So there's some sort of implication that there's some, some data involved. Um, and, and, and if you're answering some of these existential questions, you, I guess one of the starting points is, what, what have we done thus far? Where, where are we? What does our performance look like? And, and should it be better? Should it be different in some particular type of, of way? And at the other end, of course, you have your unique story and your unique um, value proposition and the impact that you're trying to make as, a, as an intention, but you still may not pull it off. <laughs> or do so consistently well. So, so strategy and performance, again, are sort of, in some senses, two sides of the same coin, but they have this sort of dynamic relationship. Yeah, for, for sure. I, um, and I think, you know, when to, to, to do a process like, like this really well, so let me back up for a second. So, you know, you see a lot of strategic plans that, um, that end up, say, you know, putting out, you know, a bunch of bold goals, which is, you know, great. This is what we need nonprofits to aspire to do. Um, but they kind of, they kind of stop at the goal level, you know, and, and maybe there's some activity um, description, but it's um, putting those activities together. You wouldn't exactly say this is the, ah, this tells me how I can, how I can get there. Um, for organizations that, you know, are ready for kind of next level strategic planning um, and, and ready to, to put the resources behind this, um, the the way that I um, advise kind of approaching the definition of those those goals um, is to say is to have a have a hypothesis informed by some maybe initial research and analysis and your own um, you know organization's collective leadership intuition and judgment and say I think this is the right goal that we should go for and how we should go about it make that hypothesis and then ask yourself what would I have to believe to be true for this to be the right answer for our organization. There are gonna be a set of, uh, a set of um, uh, questions there, or a set of hypotheses, sub-hypotheses there that, that would really have to be true in order for us to say like, yeah, actually I think this is the right answer. Um, things like um, desirability, right? Is this, is this something that our constituents even you know, want? Is this something that our funders are interested in funding? Um, questions like um, viability, um, do, can, do we think the economics of this can work? Just do some back of the envelope, you know? Um, and uh, feasibility, you know, is this something we can pull off? Uh, so that hypothesis-driven approach is one important way to, to, to bring some data in in a useful, you know, and efficient way. Right, yeah, so it's, 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 it's a lot of work, and it's interesting, it's interesting that, um, you know, listening to the questions that you're posing and this notion of this, you know, an existential, idea uh, can be frightening and intimidating to nonprofits who, um, you know, the nature of the beast and this would apply also to public sector organizations that feel under-resourced. It's like we're running, you know, on fumes here. We're doing really long hours to, to try and make everything together. And you want us to do what? Stop and ask these difficult questions. This sort of doesn't feel like the best use of our time right now because we can see right in front of our face, what is that we need to do? Oh, by the way, we're not doing it terribly well either. So we need to work harder still. Like, how do you get that shift? And you mentioned organizations that are ready to take that next <laughs> level, but often the organizations that need strategy in the way that we're defining it here the most are those who would not necessarily believe that they are in that position to take it to the next level. Um. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, at least from my perspective as a consultant, right, you know, some, some, the, the leadership has to understand what, what they're asking for and, and, and what they want to get to. And it, it usually comes from, uh, you know, the board, leadership, staff getting to a point where they can see, we, you know, I, I have to make this decision, but I just, I don't have the criteria by which to make it. Um, you know, I, 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 can, I have no ability to say no to, to the things that come across my plate. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the organizations that sort of get to that point of, of dissatisfaction with the, the level of clarity that there is today, you know, who are, who are in a place to, 
you know, get value out of this. Yeah. I mean, I've seen organizations where you have that, that seem to just live, live there permanently <laughs> and it just becomes the, 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 the culture of the place. Um, but interestingly now in 2020, when, when, when um, I'm, I've spoken to a number of leaders uh, just in these last few weeks, now that we know uh, what, 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 what's thrown us in the spring of 2020 is not yet quite going away, and we still have some, some uh, runway for our, our uncertainty, is where strategic planning and, and strategy fits in if we're trying to, we, we need to look at a range of different scenarios. There's so much uncertainty. We can't even, we can't even gather data to answer those questions. So we're looking at our next month's business continuity and strategies. Just, it seems like a luxury. Um, and, and I feel like some of the ways that we've been talking about, again, you could just like eat this stuff up all day because I love these concepts about uh, our existential unique value and so on. But the, the fact is that some people just don't feel they've got the time or the energy or the space to address these sorts of questions. Uh, so what does strategy look like in 2020? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and, and this, you know, this current situation may force the strategy question for a lot of organizations. I mean, well, that, that's what? where I thought you were going to yeah. get to, you know, because <laughs> it forces, it raises up a whole other question, but we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll let you speak. Sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. Um, so, you know, for, for, organi- so for organizations in, in, in this moment, um, it's, it's, it's also right. The flip side of this coin is business development. And so if, you know, now is the time when organizations, you know, executive directors and their development teams are, are out there, you know, pounding the pavement even harder um, because funding is harder to come by, um, you know, I would say the answers to those existential questions are even more important because that's what makes, you know, if you get clear on that and you, you, you tell that story in a way that resonates with um, the funders, that's what gives your all the proposals that you're doing, all the, you know, the high net worth individual pitches that you're doing, that's what will give it legs. Um, and so, you know, for organizations who feel like, Gee, I don't, like I'm not going to go through a strategic planning process right now. I just don't have the, the, the bandwidth to do that or the resources perhaps. Um, then maybe consider at least trying to, um, at least just trying to answer the, those, those two fundamental questions, forget about the goals and the activities and, you know, producing the document, but maybe just try and get clear on the answers to those things and make sure you're, you know, you're on the same page amongst the executive team and the board um, and have that be reflected in, in, in your pitching. Um, and, you know, this is the strategy guy speaking, but I believe that makes for stronger <laughs> business development. Um, and so that's all the more important right now. Right. Okay. I'm just going to take a pause there to remind people that you can uh, ask uh, Nick questions or contribute stuff to the discussion by just throwing in some things in the chat. Uh, thanks, Kathleen, for your contributions so far. Um, the The other question, again, that comes up is you referred, uh, Nick, to uh, this perception that a strategic planning process results in a document or a plan. And we know, we've all seen those that just go right on the shelf uh, and collect dust and, and no one ever looks at it again and until three, or three, three years later, we're supposed to do this, this cycle. Uh, what do you advise people to do to address that concern, that perception? How do you make a strategy uh, living and breathing for people? I don't know how satisfying of an answer this is, this is going to be, but um, this is what my experience has been. Um, it's answering those, <laughs> those basic fundamental questions. And that gives you the compass that, that guides what you have to do one, two, three years from now. Um, um, that, you know, a plan, um, no plan survives first contact with reality. Right. So you, 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 <laughs> you, you make a plan right. um, and the next day it, it's a little bit out of date and then it becomes more out of date and more out of date. You know, so plans are planning and plans and the planning process are useful, um, but they, they can't be everything. So my approach is figure out the, the your, you know, those big fundamental existential questions. And that gives you a compass 
um, to by which to make your you know your decisions the criteria by which to say hey what are our growth opportunities how are we going to allocate our scarce resources um, how do we need to structure the organization which positions you know all of that um, in order to do what we need to do uh, what is the culture that we need to build um, that that's what a good process should should result in and so then you know if situations change um, funding is lower, you know, than we think, you know, lockdowns um, go away sooner than we think, hey, hopefully, right? Um, you know, you, you, you know how to navigate with the compass rather than based on a, on a, on a plan that just by, by definition, you know, assumes static. So, uh, so you mentioned culture there, and I want to bring that up because uh, you can imagine someone listening to you would say, okay, right, so we, we work out that compass, uh, it's our compass as leadership, and we're going to capture it, document it in our plan and circulate that to everyone to make sure that they know. But then this is, to me, the, the plan having contact with reality, culture eats strategy for breakfast idea. Uh, and so my, my question to you is that who, whose compass, who, whose vision is it? Like how widely across the organization do you involve people so that it doesn't feel imposed upon or, you know, the 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 leadership is off on an away day, you know, coming up with these lovely things and they really feel it. They come back inspired and everybody else is like, you know, holding the fort and exhausted and has not been party to that, that, that process. How do you, how do you bridge that gap? So culture doesn't need strategy. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's where um, I really like the idea of, of coherence to uh, as the answer to your to your question so you you can ultimately you can decide a strategy but then you have to have all of the pieces of the organization um align in the right way and and that's why you know this this becomes a process but um the the services you're providing um have to uh, you know leverage the the capabilities you have that allow you to be unique in the world um, in order to make those capabilities work, you need people's behaviors um, to align in the right way because one culture means a certain set of behaviors and another culture means a different set of behaviors. So all of that needs to be in alignment. And, and when that happens, then you have strategy execution. When things are, are significantly out of sync, then that's when organizations you know, feel like, well, gee, I did all this work and you know, no one's changing what they do. Um, yeah. Big right. task. So, yeah, we've we've got all the scars but, from behavior change and strategy yeah. implementation. That's um, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but I, I think what you're saying is 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 uh, being appreciative of of that and involving people in a way which makes sense, so that um, they're not excluded and they can feel that they have some ownership over that over that coherence. Um, yes. Um, yes, and. So, so definitely, you know, I advocate for, for engaging the you know, broader organization, external stakeholders in um, earlier stages in the strategic planning process and strategy setting process, um, using that as a way to understand what the current understand, you know, what the current perception is about what makes us unique in the world, um, to get data points that help to, to check some of those hypotheses. Um, and that's important. Um, but what what I would caution against, though, is running a process um, that results in strategy by consensus, where you feel like everyone has to to, to uh, everyone's opinion uh, and, and piece of input to the process has to be reflected in the end result. Um, because when you do that, you don't have decisions, you don't have choices. Uh, and so I, you know, my, my practical advice is for people going through this process and designing the process is get the input use it in, in, in useful ways, in other words, to describe the current state and to, to test your hypotheses. Uh, but don't shy away as a leader from your job to make the tough decisions and to make choices. Um, keep those you know, with, with the executive team and or the board, depending on how your organization works. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and then it becomes a, a very much a leadership task of, of creating that coherence within the organization. But yeah, but allowing people to see where it is that they fit in, where where they can contribute a voice um, at at Absolutely. different parts. 
Right. Absolutely. Okay. We got a question here from, and I might, I might um, uh, chew on this, on, on, on the pronunciation here, but I think it's Bwambwale from uh, Uganda. I think he, uh, he was joining us from his question is uh, how does the strategic plan feed into resource mobilization and for an infant or small growing organization, how can they go about their strategic plan? Uh, so again, you know, a uh, situation where uh, perhaps it's it's only a few people, <laughs> not necessarily a huge one. Um, where do they amend the the sort of general process that you've been line, outlining? Um, yeah. So your your strategic planning process um, should um, result in a definition of we are going to uh, provide this set of services. And that means we're not going to provide, you know, other types of services, um, you know, again, because you're making choices. So when you get to that point, um, then it should become clear, okay, if we're providing these services, then who are the funders and donors who are interested in providing resources for those sorts of, uh, for those sorts of services? What are the sorts of revenue models that, um, that exist for mobilizing resources for, for this particular sorts of services I'm providing, right? So, um, so let's say, you know, you're, a, um, you know, you're a human service organization, um, serving, uh, I don't know, orphans and vulnerable children. Um, you know, you, you might be in the direct service. Um, you might end up deciding to be in the direct service business. Um, you know, that may have certain implications for your resource mobilization. I need to go for the government money, you know, or I need to go for, you know, the large donor money, uh, who, who is, um, or, or, you know, if we're talking international context, child sponsorship model, right? Those sorts of um, implications for resource mobilization come from your decisions about what to, um, what to pursue. Um, so, so that's why it's important to kind of to, to, to choose, right? Um, and then it feeds your, your resource mobilization strategy. Um, so, and, and in fact, some of the models, when you're, when you're small or starting out, you know, you can, you can outline a, a whole list of hypothetical models. You actually probably in realistic terms have just a handful available to you that you can start from with the expectation that you will evolve over time. Uh, yeah, I think so. Very much, very much dependent on um, what, what resources uh, are and from whom are available. Um, cause you know, in this, in this business, um, the, the funders are, are determining that. Uh, so yeah. Um, you're kind of at at the um, at the mercy of what options are available to you. So, so moving moving back to um, uh, the the uh, situation we've got in 2020, uh, some of the some of the uncertainties will drive these questions or drive organizations to the point where they have to ask these existential questions. I want to ask you specifically about um, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, both from a programmatic perspective and also then organizational. Uh, and, and I want to tease it with just uh, the sort of popular wisdom, if you will, that I hear people addressing around it, which is uh, around culture fit and mission fit between two organizations that may be considering merging or so on. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on whether that that's those are those are the right things to be plugging into uh and how that plays into someone's strategy and strategic thinking yeah so i i think the current situation is going to force a lot more of that um i, I think the, the big picture thing for folks to keep in in mind is that like full-on merger and acquisition is one end of a spectrum of types of of uh, of forms of collaboration um which is sort of the the heaviest, the most intense, um, and, and, and can be the hardest to pull off. And the costliest uh, and takes the most time. <laughs> yep, riskiest, all, all of that. Um, and, and so understand that there is a spectrum of, of, of choices that, that, that you can make if what you're thinking is um, programmatic collaboration, oppor opportunities for, for efficiencies on the administrative side of thing, things, um, that there, 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 there's a spectrum. Right? Uh, you can look up... Um, the work that that La Piana, they're, they're another consulting organization, um, has done, and, and they've actually done a, a great job of um, writing up um, a lot of their very, very practical um, 
advice from all of their years of experience um, in, in a couple of books and resources that you can go find on their website. Um, That's uh, lapiana.com. Lapiana um, Advisors or something. Lapiana is yeah, the name, it, isn't it? Lapiana is the name. I, I can't remember if they're if it's like a Lapiana.org or something like that. But um, okay, I put that Consulting. in the chat for people to uh, for people to check out. But you've got they've got a white paper or yeah. some resources around. Yeah, and published books you can get on Amazon. So it's a very full, you know. Oh um, right, quite, quite rich in terms of practical resources. Anyway, if this if 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 M and A you know is 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 sort of an active question for for you, I, I recommend go checking that out. Um, but here on the call, um, yeah, mission, culture fit um, are important. Um, but if you are thinking full-on merger acquisition, um, then um, I think it's really, really important to understand um, business model, um, which means question, you know, things like who are the customers, what is the revenue model, um, uh, what are the values by which the business values by which the organization operates. Um, how are we structured? Um, if you're talking, if you if you're if you're talking about two organizations with uh, business models that are quite different, um, if you try to put them together, you're going to ruin a lot of stuff um, because organizations are very very difficult to change. Um, so uh, if you're thinking, you know, full on merger acquisition be very, very conscious of, of, of the business model question. And the, and the business model could apply. So I know another, another possibility uh, is that a nonprofit with one or two programs closes and its programs are then transferred to another organization. And this is maybe facilitated by a common funder, a foundation or, or, or something of that regard. And, I think it's almost impossible in that climate when it, when it's when it's facilitated by a foundation for an executive director or a board to say, um, I know you want us to house this program, <laughs> you know, to inherit this program or take it over, um, but it's really not a fit. <laughs> it's it's difficult to turn that sort of situation down, um, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a very real problem. Uh, that people are going to face because they'll, for, on the face of it, they'll say, okay, you guys are working in the same sort of sector. These are similar sort of programs. Surely you can just absorb this one uh, in, into your operations, but it's not as easy as that, is it? Um, well, yeah, no, nothing's ever as easy as, um, as it seems. Uh, you know, there, there, so there is a, you know, there is a spectrum here too, right? There are, you know, if you're talking small organizations, single program, you know, let's say it's a single program organization that, you know, where, where, where funder is interested in preserving it, but they, you know, they just would like to see it combined with another, you know, another large, perhaps larger organization. Easier to do in that case, because you're, you're not, there, there's less in, in terms of change to the, you know, a big business model. You could, you could, in many cases, just kind of, you know, slot, slot in program director with the program under them, you know, into a new organization. Um, definitely challenging in terms of combining cultures and you know lots of organizational change which is very 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 challenging <laughs> on its own but it, uh, in simpler situations you avoid some of the some of the more the challenges of, of like a you know larger merger and acquisition situation so it's still very difficult right okay we still have um we still have time to take some more questions i'm just uh, scrolling through the chat here to make sure i haven't I haven't uh, missed anything, um, right? So, where uh, at what point um, do people uh, decide that? Sorry, sorry. Let me walk back. If if we're in a strategic planning situation now, again, it's going to this question of twenty twenty. I hear a lot of people talk about um, scenario planning and laying out different scenarios. Can you speak to that a little bit about um, how you would go about that? Because it's clearly a different, it's a, it's a way of managing some of the uncertainty. Um, but I can imagine, you know, an executive director hearing from uh, a board member of the board chair that, okay, we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going we're gonna to do the strategic planning differently. We're not going to postpone it, but we're going to do it with, from a scenario planning perspective. What, is, what does that mean? What is, how, how should people approach that? Differently, and what should they expect at the at the other end? Uh, yeah, you know, um, 
I, I would, in, in my mind, this this would be another way to do the planning component of a strategic planning process. Um, and, and so it, it's instead of saying, here's the plan, it's kind of like saying, here's plan A if this set of conditions um, emerge. Here's plan B if, if this, if you know, set of conditions B emerges and so forth. Um, and so in, in a time like this, that's, that's important to, to do so you're prepared. Um, because a lot of organizations are going to be, um, you know, facing threats to their to their ongoing viability, um, and in doing so, so what would that look like? That I, I, I think those different scenarios, practically speaking, are are mostly going to be defined by funding is level, <laughs> funding goes down by X amount, funding goes down by X amount further, um, and um, how. So, now, sorry, just to interject that? there. Yeah. So, one way of defining the scenarios is based on funding levels. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay. One, one way of doing that, the most common one I've seen, um, or when I've when when boards have asked my clients to do that, it has generally been sort of from that, you know, thinking from from the financial point of view. Yeah. Um, so, what do you do if you're twenty percent down? What do you do if you're fifty percent down? Those sorts of yeah, things. Yeah. Just in 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 the the experience that that my clients have had so far, um, uh, I don't know how that how that will go for for other folks um but when you're doing that right so the it is a bad idea to um to just say well we're going to cut every department's budget by 10 percent or 20 percent or 30 percent um that that would be the the non-strategic way to approach strategic planning um if you've got a good sense of what your um what your strategy is then again you've you've got the criteria by which to say uh, capabilities X, Y, and Z are the most important ones um, for us in terms of preserving what we do uniquely in the world. Um, other ones, we could outsource. We could, cons- you know, we could use things like collaborations or mergers and acquisitions to, uh, you know, to achieve efficiencies. We can sacrifice in this area if we need to. Um, that's. I, I would really advise to try to bring that strategic clarity into a scenario planning process so you know where you can make those cuts and so you don't just say everyone gets 10%. Right. So in other words, like you said, I think earlier, um, might have been about something else, but I think it was this similar sort of uh, question, which is uh, in times of uncertainty, you need to do the hard strategic work uh, or the hard strategic work is, is more important than ever when you have to make the, the hardest decisions. In other words, the, the harder the decisions to make, the more important that strategic focus is. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it, right? And, and back to our earlier point, practically for, for, for leaders in, in the situation they're, they're in today, um, boil it down to those big questions. How do we believe our change comes about? What is our role in that, and why? How? Do, why and how do we do that uniquely? Boil it down to that, um, and and focus on that, and that might give you the eighty percent of the value, you know, for the twenty percent of the effort. Uh, yeah. Well, in speaking in, uh, speaking in, in terms of efficient doing so efficiently, what what's a? I mean, you can, I've seen strategic plans take eighteen months. You know, strategic planning processes, uh, and I've seen them done in a weekend. And I wouldn't say that either or is better than the other. Obviously, you know, being extended over a long period of time, you know, better result in some serious transformation for the amount of resource it consumes. But uh, aside from, from that and those extremes, what's a reasonable way of approaching it? Say you've got, you know, a board of 10 or 12 members, for example, and, and you've got a leadership of, of, of two or three people who are, who are managing things. What, what would you recommend uh, as a way of thinking about the amount of resource, the amount of time it takes to actually practically do this. Let's assume um, that you also have mm-hmm. to start from that very, <laughs> yeah. what are we really about? Because we haven't documented this for a couple of years, guys. So what is, you know, let's start there uh, because yeah. we have some really difficult questions ahead. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I just designed actually a, a, a nine-month strategic planning process. Um, and about half of that, at least half of it, um, was was getting to the point of choosing that strategic identity uh, and doing it at, in a uh, in a very concrete way, right? So that the implications are are clear. Um, you know, this was an organization that 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 does have the uh, 
the the bandwidth uh, and, and the resourcing to you know to participate in a in a months long process. Um, so so I would say you know I'll, I'll just throw out kind of a uh, you know an expectation maybe for the typical nonprofit out there. I mean expect to take a, a couple of months to do it right between scheduling meetings you know getting your board members on calls um, doing the work to to collect um, to collect the baseline information and and do your hypothesis testing um, I would say expect at least a couple of months you know to 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 do it well for a you know I don't know for a, for a medium uh, sized organization if you're a really really small shop where the the executive director or founder is kind of you know, mostly calls the shots, then it can go a lot faster. Um, but, but but having said that, do you, would would you would that would you also advise um, that the small shop, the single employee, for for example, employee director, or maybe the only full time employee, um, calling the shots true, but also then needs um, someone to reflect back with them. You know, yeah, and have and, that, and has some scrutiny to to the thinking. You know, so it's so it's refreshed. Yep. Um, uh, and so that's what you know boards should definitely be doing. Um, uh, and 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 yeah, part of the process is you do have to check your hypotheses. <laughs> you know, with with real data, um, and, and a lot of times that can be as simple as talking to your constituents, talking to to, to board members. Um, to get a better sense of, mm, do I really believe this to be true? You know, um, and and the other thing I would say to, you know, some the, the reason some processes take the eighteen months um, may be that um, the organization is 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 approaching it as a like they 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 do this this big upfront huge boil the ocean research and analysis project. They say. I need to know everything there is to know about my space and the trends in my space and who else is out there. And then if I knew that, then I would know what to do about it. Um, my, my strategy consultant training, you know, tell, tells me that that would not be how I recommend you go about the data gathering process. It's not boil the ocean. And that's why I was saying earlier, um, there, you can make some pretty good hypotheses about what the right answer is um, with based on, your collective intuition, you know, lean on the, the executive team, lean on staff, lean on the board, um, but then, but then exercise some judgment as an executive team to say, I have these three, you know, big hypotheses about what the answer is, um, and and then ask, you know, ask the what would I have to believe to be true, and that and that is the way you 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 can be very targeted about what you then go and find the data on, and you spend your time researching. Um, that's how you make this process go go more quickly. Right. Okay. So I was going to say, yes. What what is what are some standard delays? And and I think you you've answered that in that you can get just uh, analysis paralysis. You can be uh, getting loads and loads of data that's not actually practically terribly helpful. Um, the the um, the, so sorry, I'll, I'll go to Beth. Beth's got a question here. How does the process change when the ED or president is brand new? So I think you know if I'm if I'm imagining working with this executive team, um, I think it's it's probably two things. Um, I would be I, I would make sure that in the design of the process, um, the, uh, folks who 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 know the organization well, whether that's um, you know other staff members, um, other members of the leadership team, or and or board members, um, are are um, very involved in the process. So you. You know, you you do really. It, my approach to strategy really does um, build from where the organization has come from and when and what makes them special because of that experience that they've had. So, having voices in the process that represent that and 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 who know the answers to those things um, is important. At the same time, um, I would be coaching um, you know a new ED um, to you know to to embrace. Um, to embrace that about the organization that, that, that they are coming into, but then also lean into their leadership when it comes to making tough decisions and tough choices. Um, and it's just, I, there's just, it has to be the artful balance there, I think. 
and then obviously, uh, uh, um, Beth, if you're speaking from experience, then then that this probably ring too with you is is you're cultivating those new relationships at the same time. So you know, there's it's it's an opportunity to develop those relationships, but um, you know, you you've got to um, uh, make some assumptions that you wouldn't necessarily have to make if you if you had been in the organization a while and you knew the the, the landscape a bit better. Um, which which points to sort of thing I want to uh, come to the end on here, which is the way we the way we've described it and we've said, you know, the the harder the the harder the question, the harder decisions, the more important the strategy questions are and, and so on. Um, and I feel like in many ways we've really upped the stakes about how important and vital it is to get this right. But on the other hand, I'd like your reaction to the idea that it's less about getting it right than having something crisp and clear to work from because you can, you know, you're always going to get something wrong about the future. And so to lower the stakes and not put so much pressure on yourselves, you know, gut feelings are, are okay. You don't necessarily have to have every last bit of data. So talk through how you manage this, the stakes and the pressure of getting these things right, you know, particularly, you know, in, in 2020. Sure. Okay. So, so two things. Um, first, when, when I talk about that hypothesis-driven problem-solving process and like answering the, the what would we have to believe to be true questions, um, it ultimate, so there's, in a process like this, the, very rarely will you get to a, a, a 100% or even a 95% like we know this is, this is you know, this is uh, incontrovertibly right. Um, most of the time, it comes down to a judgment call by the leadership to say, I'm comfortable that the, the evidence we have gathered points towards this being the right answer. And, and, and actually, that's kind of my bar. Um, you know, you as a leadership team need to get comfortable with this um, and then stand by it, right? So um, to your question of, you know, do we have to get it exactly right? Well, actually, I think it's kind of there, there's, a, there's a threshold. Um, and then stand by it. But here's the thing. Also recognize that it's always a work in, in progress and you learn as you go. So this is where doing M&E right is, is important. There's, I'll, I'll say one thing about this because I know we're running out of time. There are actually two things you need to be measuring for. There's management control, which is, are we doing the things that we said we would do in our strategic plan and then in our annual plans? Like, are we actually executing and are people doing what they committed to? The second thing that that measurement is used for is strategic learning. So separately from that management control process, you should also be having, um, you know, measurement in meetings that address the question of, well, are we right in our assumptions? And are we, are the, uh, you know, are the activities we are performing, um, you know, resulting in the sorts of changes we, we then expect to see in our intermediate outcomes or whatever? Um, and if not, then, then we need to, you know, we can adjust. So, so is, is that another way of saying that, you know, you have that threshold of, we, we feel we've got the right information that's pointing in this direction. We believe that that's the, that's the answer that we're going to go with it and we're going to stick with it um, until such time as the data is telling us something different. And here's the data that we would be looking at. If that happens, we know we, we guessed wrong and we're going to need to do this plan B. So that's sort of maybe a way that sort of segues into some scenario planning that we see as well. Yeah. And, and, and don't, I, I see so many organizations, you know, where their where their strategic plans have, you know, measurement and metrics and stuff like that, and it's mostly just, did we do, you know, the things that we we laid out in this plan? Stuff, yeah, that's right. That's only half of the picture, and maybe even the less important piece. Right. So 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 put some time and effort to, um, not be afraid to come up with some assumptions that. Uh, drive and result in that unique strategic positioning for your organization, but then continually test whether that's actually correct. Have some information so that the next time you do this, um, you're really just updating that information. You're not going blindly for the next two or three years until you do this again and then you start it all over. So it should be a bit more, a bit more slow, um, incremental, evolutionary in some respects if you're doing almost like strategy all the time. Yep, absolutely. Okay, 
That's great. The final question we had in the chat, which I, I, I'm going to guess the answer is, what is the recommended approach when the organization is new? Which I think is exactly the same. You ask the same sort of questions. Uh, you just may have less data to work from. And, and that, yeah, but that actually plays right into what we've been talking about is this is where hypotheses and assumptions and how you test those quickly, you know, and, and cheaply is, is all the more important. Um, uh, really, so, so, you know, go ahead and, 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 and make those hypotheses, make the assumptions and get out there and test it in, in, in the real world as soon as you can um, to, get, to get the input and just be prepared to be very um, agile about making changes based on what you learn. Well, that's great. Okay. Well, we have come to the end of our hour. This has been uh, fantastic, uh, Nick. I really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like I've, I've learned a lot, uh, confirmed some suspicions, and uh, suggested some other things I need to be looking at. Uh, people can find you at our Peggio uh, Advisors. Or is it PeggioStrategy.com. Yep. PeggioStrategy.com. You can find Nick if you want to have a, a direct chat on anything that you've heard uh, or are looking for some support for strategic planning and strategy more generally. Yeah, more than happy to follow up. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Thanks a lot. And that, uh, that concludes Nonprofit Problem Solver for this week. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks a lot, Kev. Thanks for joining us on the Nonprofit Problem Solver podcast. Special thanks to this week's guest, Nick Takamine. Find him online at arpeggiostrategy.com. This episode was expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at Pod Pro Audio. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. You're also invited to join a private Facebook group, Social Impact Practitioner, where every day we go deep into the practical and tactical work to accelerate your impact because good causes deserve better results.